0: On this episode, I get the opportunity to speak with Brad Lehmansdorf from (laughs) LMTR.com. They offer premium research and insights on stocks, economics, and emerging markets. You may have seen him on Fox Business Network, CNBC, Business Insider, and Wall Street Journal, to name just a few. We discuss the current economic outlook as it relates to interest rates, real estate, millennials, and how their demographic will affect the future of the U.S. real estate market. Welcome to the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience Podcast. Listen in as CEO John Maddox of Fund Loans reveals tips secrets, and origination ideas to fill your pipeline with million-dollar opportunities. Hey, Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Definitely. So glad that you're on the show here, and I I know my listeners are going to get a lot out of this. So how'd you get your start?
1: Well, I I had a a very young start. I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas around uh, some private equity type people and some stock traders that used to work for the Bass Brothers, which is a world famous uh, billionaire uh, stock trading family, energy family. And um, it really pulled a lot of talent to Fort Worth, Texas, if you can believe it or not. And uh, during my teenage years, uh, I I was uh, lucky enough to spend a lot of time with them. I went to go work for the Bass Brothers uh, right after college and worked in their hedge fund oriented uh, department for about five or six years and then I've run hedge funds ever since. So a lot of experience and um, you know in that space.
0: So would you say you were analytical, uh, you know, from a young age, and and you could kind of see trends or like what what really gave you the desire to get into that? Was it financially? Like obviously, you, you know, you you can make great money in your field, but it, what kind of drove you to to start doing that? Was that's
1: uh, that's really sort of funny. I, I actually have never been asked that. Um, I'm uh, I'm highly dyslexic, so uh, when wow. I was young, I I hated reading, but I I, I was. Uh, in the gifted math programs so math was always something that i really loved to do it wasn't something that i had to do and okay. uh the stock market uh once i figured out what was going on at a very young teen a very young teenage year i think it was 12 or 13 i was starting to trade stocks. so i became very interested in it very quickly
0: Wow, well, you think of you know kids these days. They have the phones at you know age thirteen, age twelve, sometimes even younger. And I mean, could you imagine having an iPhone or a Samsung when you were that age? Like, imagine like all the research you could have done at your finger. I'll, you
1: really I'll tell you a really funny story. So, when I was trading my personal account when I was in high school, you know things were very volatile, and uh, I would need to go during the middle of the day to the payphone to. Go go check on things, and I would constantly be getting in trouble uh, asking to leave the class all the time to go to the bathroom, and you know, how? why were you gone so long, what were you doing, and you know, so anyway, it was pretty funny.
0: <laughs> while other kids were going doing bad things like having a smoke break in the bathroom, you were off checking your stocks, that's awesome, that's that's cool, So so safe to say you've been doing this a while. That's correct. Okay well cool. Uh, so you know as, as, as our listeners know, I mean they're here listening to our you know million dollar mortgage experience and um, looking for ways to get you know in, in with people like you and is there anything that you could just throw out a, a quick tip on on something I think you know giving adding value is a huge thing but is there something that you've seen you know kind of along your path that, that could that you could share?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a few things just kind of on a macro level. You know, I always believe in life. Like, if you can find processes that work, that help you through. Even little things that occur, um, it's really, uh, you know, it, it adds consistency throughout the decades, right? And uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that I, I, I'm, I see that people do is that they, um, everyone is dealing in mortgages uh, these days. You know, they have a house. Maybe some of the millennials uh, aren't quite um, uh, stepping up as fast as they had in the past. But, uh, you know, home, home uh, ownership is way up in the United States it's and uh, but they don't really but they 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 buy when things are ne- are needed and not necessarily when Interest interest rates may be at a very interesting time for them to react. Meaning, using some of that contrarian type philosophy within side of the interest rate uh, market. For instance, we just had a very, very big panic uh, up in the interest rate market. We know that the United States government is starting to adjust interest rates, but do you know that that almost seventy to eighty percent of Everyone at this point in time thinks rates are going higher, so think about right. that a second right now, after the fact everyone th- but this summer the 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 numbers were very low. nobody was really saying uh, as far as the pools of people that were polled, they weren 't really expecting that type of move up. And I guess what I come back to is is you can use that type of discipline throughout your life when you are looking to do things with inside of you know, borrowing money, um, you know, being able to be ahead of the curve like that, being able to help yourself and not even needing to be in in the, you know, the lucky, uh, you know, the, the lucky club or whatever you may want to call it.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a great point that you make, Brad. And, you know, I, I do I do agree that, you know, people, when they get ready to buy a house, they're not necessarily saying, well, interest rates are, you know, higher today, so I don't, I'm not going to buy a house. But I, I think it also ties a lot to... To what their payment would be, uh, versus you know, say say an interest rate. So you know they'll look at what their rent is, and, and if their rent is high, which it is these days, um, they're gonna they're gonna say, well, let's see if I put down a little money, and you know, my new mortgage payment's gonna be you know similar to what my rent is. Then, but I'll be owning, and you know that that could be that could play into that. So, um, you know, one of the things that you do well, you know, you go on on the news and often to talk about uh, stock market and you know, economic and financial, um, you know, ec- your expertise. Uh, one of the thing, I, th- one of the things I think would be helpful and interesting to our listeners is to talk about the millennials and how, um, you know, right now there, there's a lot of weakness, I would say in the mortgage sector, there's layoffs, there's mortgage companies that, you know, are, are, you know, the refi boom is gone. It's over, uh, as of today. So, um, people are looking for purchases out there. There's mortgage companies that are cutting back, but, in the in the margins are compressed, uh, but there, so our listeners, a lot of them are, are you know looking to do what we call non-qualified mortgages, and what those are are uh, loans that have interest-only um, features. They have uh, bank statement you know f- to prove income versus tax returns. Um, you know what are your thoughts as far as the the overall future of housing and the uh, you know as we look at a history chart of you know housing, you know someone could say if they looked you know a child would look at look at it and say oh well, that always goes up but you know we know there's dips and you know kind of what's your sentiment right now um, on the housing do you think we're gonna get, have a dip right now do you think what do you see in the next five years
1: right sure um, so the the um, the good news um, the, the long-term trends are very favorable and and the reason i say that um it 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 blows me away 12 years ago i was researching all the emerging markets as they were uh you know uh, um you know emerging out of these long term um you know consolidation periods And uh, I was looking at the United States population, and it was right around 275-280 million. And I know that this year it's up to 330 million. So that's in 12 years you've uh, created 50 million new populous people inside of the United States. So, I mean, you start doing the math over 20, 30 years, and it's a very, very powerful trend. So with that said, I, I think that the United States is in good shape there. Short term, I think that the market has gotten very heated. I think that you've been hearing a lot about house flipping last year. I haven't heard as much this year, but it was getting pretty intense last year. Uh, We're short a lot of the auto finance credit. We think that's a very weak spot. We also have been short L.E. May, which is a mortgage platform, which, as you mentioned, is a dying area.
0: Can we unpack that a little bit? You say the 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 auto industry. So, do you is is the auto industry is that tied to just we want to say reckless lending in the auto industry? Do you think there'll be some some uh, repos and stuff like that?
1: It, it's really interesting because you know during 08, uh, the ABS market, which is that auto finance market, um, never really broke down very badly. It was one of the pieces of uh, the asset classes that held up great and one of the reasons it held up great was because your average duration on these leases were about three years and um, you know the the you know the uh, the amount of residual left in the car was much grander. So your if you had to repossess something, you had a lot more to repossess. So the numbers worked great during that period. So of course the mathematicians they they turn around and say, well, gee, it acted so well. You know, let's do more in that area and let's get more aggressive in that area. So as you know now, you can get leases for seven years long, and by then the residuals are down to zero and. Uh, Uh, You know, we already are starting to, there's been record amount of deeps, deep uh, deep and subprime type um, leases created. There's a record amount of leases coming off of lease as far as supply coming onto the market. Uh, The market, uh, the auto U.S. market has never had a five or six year run of 17 million cars a year, every year over the last five years. Never happened, so we're very wow. well supplied. So,
0: well, it's interesting too. If I want to point out, the uh, millennials are, you know, what we call a sharing economy, and a lot of 16-year-olds for their birthday aren't asking for cars; they're asking for Uber, like Uber credits or like a like an unlimited Uber, you know, account uh, instead of a car. So, like, like, if that trend is happening, and then on top of that, there's going to be a bunch of cars. Coming back, like what, and there's going to be less people wanting cars. That's I see that as a big implosion too. I mean, is that do you see that?
1: I, I, I would. I would. That's a great. That's a great point. I, that's something that's not in my analysis, but it certainly is occurring without question, which is even another negative.
0: Yeah. And then the fact that a lot of these cars are going to be, you know, in the next 10 years, fully automated. I mean, they're already automated, but, you know, with autonomous driving and whatnot, like people are not going to want an older clunker car. They'd rather just, you know, go, when I say older clunker, I mean like something 15, 10 years old, you know, not even, you know, not even something that, that we're thinking of a clunker is like 30 years old, but...
1: Well, you know, and the auto yeah, industry think- got, got a huge punch uh, up when they did the cash for for clunkers, too. I mean, you really got rid mm-hmm. of a tremendous amount of inventory. It was a program during 08 and 09 where you could get rid of some old cars and get some tax credits. And uh, that actually was a was a uh, you know they got rid of a lot of uh, of cars that Older. you know probably shouldn't shouldn't have been on the highway anyway. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but right <it's, laughs>
0: right. Well, what will that?
1: Go ahead. Sorry.
0: What will that? How will that affect our economy? Will that affect investors who invested in these type of ABS you know pools or uh, like who will be the affected the most when this? crisis kind of comes to a head
1: well i mean the the, the people people buying the abs pools could be anywhere i mean they could be municipalities that are you know buying eight and ten percent uh, of their portfolios and their fixed income exposure so it's pretty um you know prolific through the industry that they own abs type paper that everyone owns it
0: so when you see stuff like that it when you see stuff like that imploding, and I want to talk a little bit about um, when, when in 2000 when the dot com uh, crisis was happening, and, and then the dot com bubble uh, popped, and and all of a sudden, you know, a lot of VC money at that that time was you know was like whoa 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 we're not putting our money into these you know shoes.com, dot pets you know all, all these different crazy dot coms that had no revenue it just had an idea you know. Certainly, tech is is different these days. I mean, people say there's, you know, we're we're totally different than the .dot com. However, you know, a Snapchat is worth so much money today. You know, arguably, uh, I would say, you know, tomorrow, if there was something that came out called Stars Align or something, there's a new thing that came out that that could instantly take you know take a lot of the the, the share of all these people, and then that that app could be worthless, you know. I mean, I'm not saying it would happen, but there's there's a lot of stuff that's overvalued in tech. What do you see in in tech? Do you think it's similar at all to the dot-com uh, time or is there
1: well, What's interesting is is that in 2000, technology as a percentage of the S&P 500 got to about 32% and currently we're at about 26%. So while, while technology isn't as high of a percentage as it was in 2000, it's at a very full number. Traditionally, it's very difficult to get over 20% of the S&P per sector. So it, it definitely um, is, uh, in, in our opinion, a little over-owned. Uh, but one thing that people, I don't think, really kind of co- can't comprehend about the stock market, and it's actually two, two thoughts one earnings can be manipulated very aggressively with a balance sheet so the earn the, the price to earnings that people kind of look at in the marketplace um sometimes is you know a bit of uh you know smoke and mirrors but when you're looking at price to sales it's impossible to fake sales unless you're like Enron like an absolute fraud so if you're a fraud, of course we're not. You know, maybe we can spot the fraud, but it, it's you know. But when you're looking at price to sales, it's a very even number that's that's hard to manipulate year in and year out. And right now, the stock market is 20% higher on a price-to-sales basis than even 2000 and 2007-8 period. So even if the economy does well, the stock market may not do as well just because the expectations are so incredibly high right now. You know, interesting. It, it, you know I, I go back to 1987. We had a crash in 87 in the stock market. It took the savings and loan crisis to drag us into a recession. Wow.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting time. And, and I think, you know, obviously with Trump, you know, the Trump economy, people are saying, and, um, you know, everyone is like, you go to the restaurants, you go to malls and, the, you know, the packed, you know, there's a lot of, you know, really good stuff that we feel in the economy. Stock market's extremely high. Uh, You know, everyone's portfolios are doing well. Um, And, you know, and so kind of I've been telling in my mind, you know, when I see all these new products come out, because I my finger is on the pulse of the mortgage product sector. So I see and it really reminds me of the year 2000. So back in 2000. If we can remember back that far, there was no internet. Well, there, there might have been internet, but it was very different than it is today. And um, there was, you know, we would get faxes. So we'd get, like, for instance, there would be a fax that would come out um, in the morning with the rate sheets. The rates would, you know, come out daily via fax and for the mortgages. And, and in that rate sheet packet, there'd be new products. So there, there came a time when all these new products... Started evolving and expanding, uh, went from very traditional mortgage products to more expanded and exotic mortgage products, and we saw that really, really accelerate over you know 2003 to 2005. Um, but in 2000 was kind of the birth of those new products, and in the last two years we've seen a very, very similar thing happen in the mortgage sector. So there's been. You know, the refi boom that happened was all on Fannie Freddie, FHA government, VA loans. It was, you know, what we call streamlined refis. It was, uh, you know, really great in term reduction uh, of interest rates. And anyone who could get a mortgage or anyone who had a mortgage refied got, you know, the most lowest rate that they could possibly get. And so that's over. And And now, and, and at that time, there really was nothing else out there. While all that was happening, we, as a company, drop you know fund loans and um, a lot of other companies out there like Angel Oak and, and Citadel. They started working on these products. Now they're they're not really subprime or we call them non prime now, but they're lower FICO scores. They're alter, alternate doc income sources, and these loans. Have have now there's now been been a uh, a, a whole new sector. It's back actually. It's it, we're doing um, securitization. So there's been 19 successful securitizations at this date. Um, the average securitization is around 300. Uh, is like it's right around 300 million. Um, and, and and so those those securitizations are small, very small. And if you look at the uh, the data as far as originations back in two thousand and five, it was in the trillions, and now originations, you know, in this sector are uh, in in the you know low billions, like twenty billion roughly. And so in this in this part of our business in the mortgage business it just hit about a billion dollars a month in originations and it's growing it's growing they you know doubled and last last year they predicted it to double or triple this year it, it already is over it's more than doubled and we see next year is possibly tripling or doubling again and uh, with where there's plenty of room for that and so I say all that to say it, it my thinking, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I want to get your opinion on this, is when the dot-com bubble burst, the people that were putting money into these these venture capitalists, these investors they were putting all this money into the dot-com bubble, pulled that money out and said, I want to put it in something safer. And so I feel like there might be something similar that could happen in the tech world if there is a scare in technology, uh, if there's some companies that just don't really show earnings and it just there becomes some weakness in the tech sector and then you know what what i've been seeing is to that point is that people started putting money into mortgage-backed securities again, and these hedge funds are coming out asking to buy these pools. And there's a big, big hunger for for volume and for you know large pools of loans in this sector because the default rate is next to zero. It's very, very low, uh, and that's due to a lot of the, the the laws that are in place Dodd-Frank, the appraisal. Um, you know, third party appraisals where we can there's a firewall in between originators and appraisers, like there should be. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of safety now that's in the mortgage business, even with these expanded mortgages. Uh, but what are your thoughts on is there any similarities between what happened in the dot com bubble to where people said, okay, I'm putting my money into something more of like an asset backed type of security versus just this, you know, nebulous, uh, you know, Company or you know tech company, um, do you see any similarities that could potentially happen? With that, you know, in 2000 and today, with, with the, tech, the tech, yeah, I right mean, now,
1: you know, throughout the cycles, I, I, I was talking about 87, just to pick on a, a volatile period in time. But um, the brokerage firm, there was a brokerage fir- famous brokerage firm called Solomon Brothers, and they notoriously closed their money market department right before the crash of 87. And by doing that, everyone went to cash after the 87. It was one of the biggest money market booms of all time as far as asset raising. So I guess, uh, you know, things don't change, uh, you know, uh, uh, time heals all wounds and a fixed income is always, a, you know, a safe haven away from the equity markets. Right now, it's a little different just because we're moving up from such a ridiculously low base. Um, but in general, you know, fixed incomes and, and buying debt uh, obviously is probably a bit more stable than a negative cash flow. A looking balance sheet from a technology company that has a new app out so that right. that type of reallocating traditionally occurs, um, uh, so I, that that wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. I just think that in this cycle, I think what people have kind of missed, and, and it's occurred this year, and it may occur a little more dramatically next year, which is, in this instance, the stock market is starting to struggle and go down. At the same time, interest rates are also starting to go down. Back when uh, the reference to back to 2000, what happened was interest rates were going up, I mean uh, interest rates were going down meaning the uh, the fixed the uh, assets were going up just because interest rates were moving lower and the stock market was moving lower. So if you had a 60 40 portfolio meaning sixty percent stock and forty percent bonds, your bonds appreciated some, your stock depreciated some, so you kind of had a hedge. In this instance interest rates are going up at the same time stock markets are going down. You're losing on bonds and stocks. So the positioning in this cycle seems to me to be a a little bit different. And similar to me in the real estate market, too. I mean, you've got commercial property trading at five caps all over the place. The risk-free rate of return now for treasuries is 320. So I I would think cap rates will start going up quite a bit. I don't see how they can hold that lower, lower rate.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, with, with that said, um, you know, interest rates are going up, you know, we had a hike just recently, uh, and, and with, you know, with, with interest rates going up, you know, I would imagine, uh, that's finally giving some, some savers, right. You know, not a whole lot, but some, some, uh, additional interest on their, on their money markets and whatnot. Um, what? CDs too, right. Yeah, CDs and, and and that's that's creating. I think with those type of bonds and, and with with uh, with mortgage bonds, you know, our, our, on these securitizations, the the average coupon is north of six percent. So you know, might even be seven percent. Um, so and with very low default rates, and it's in the, it's in the you know zero, you know, 0.00 You know, you might need to look it up, but I know it is very, very low, and and there's a lot of low LTV loans in this in this sector. So, um, I I mean, it's a different world. So from an institutional point of view, not even realizing they had moved up that
1: that amount, think about this a second, and for the viewers, when you buy the S&P 500 right now at its current levels, you're getting a 1.8% dividend yield, and you're getting an earnings yield of about 6%. So you're getting an unguaranteed return of about seven percent a year versus a guaranteed return in say the in your mortgage area of seven percent a year. To me, that's not a, that's that's a no-brainer. I mean, you right. know, money in the yeah. bank, it's right there. So uh, that 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 really is very revealing.
0: And I think that's why it's growing. And I think that it will continue to grow, especially with millennials uh, who have put off the home buying uh, experience, right? They're, they're waiting longer. Uh, but, you know, as rents continue to go up, you know, there's going to come a, a time when, uh, you know, I remember it happening, you know, maybe it was in the 2000s when, when rents were more, you know, than, than your mortgage. You could, it was actually cheaper to buy a house and, and, you know, as far as cash flow would go. Um, you know, and and the products that exist now, you know, there's no stated income, you know, for owner occupied. There's some stated income for investment, but that's you know completely different. Um, and there's there's uh, uh, the appraisals, you know, always come. They're coming in low quite a bit just because, you know, the appraisers don't have a, a real incentive to bring them in, in in even. You know I mean they have incentive to bring them in at value but they don't have any incentive to bring it above value uh, and they could get in trouble for that so there's no real you know manipulation with appraisals um, you know and so that's a that's the, a different uh, we're in a different time now with with the mortgage side um, do you think that you know you did make make that really great point of the 280 million people in the u.s to now 330 million uh, 13 years later um, and what from my you know my uh studies or my you know my research um i've seen that there's 75 million millennials and the millennials have a very large the large portion of them have an element of uh side hustle or freelance work and and uh you know also they have a lot of student loans what is your opinion on you know will they enter the mortgage market will they enter into the housing market or do you see them still being renters? Do you see them potentially, you know, doing these we work, we share, kind of sharing kind of things? Like do you think there'll be an impact in in housing because of the the millennials starting to buy?
1: Well, I, I do think that there's going to be a lot more shared items just because it's a powerful trend. And I think people are there, but I think also that, um, you know, science has lent a very, uh, you know, a nice luxury to people. Um, I I didn't have my first child until I was 38 and um, you know it it makes it a lot easier to start a family later so people wait longer but uh, inevitably uh, everybody uh, wants to most people want to try to have a family and um, I think when you start thinking about that math that I was mentioning to you and you run it out another 13 years and then another 13 years it gets pretty powerful no matter which we work you work in or which sharing is going on you're gonna need a lot of sharing programs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. There's, there there is, and there's not. There's only so many houses. I mean, if you've looked at, you know, uh, the 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 amount of homes for sale, right? And the, the fact that they still are moving quick off the market, um, the fact that, um, you know, there there even the government says there's a housing you know, shortage. I'll, I'll, and, I'll tell you a quick um,
1: story. So I'm from Fort Worth, yeah. Texas, and Fort Worth is it's a good town and it's 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 you know one of the big you know cities within inside of the dfw area and uh when i was growing up there was plenty of room within inside of the city to move around and and find housing and uh there was a a, a, another town outside of it called Alito, and Alito has grown up tremendously. And now there's you know big kind of like ten acre, you know fancy homes out on the outskirts of the t- of, of uh, Fort Worth, which is now Alito, and it's all kind mm-hmm. of grown together. And it's literally so now when you try to move into the epicenter of the Fort Worth area, which is where I used to grow up, houses have tripled to get to the center of the city. And you know, over say a fifteen twenty year period, and right. what and a very similar thing has happened in Dallas, but maybe that was fifteen twenty years ago when Plano and Cisco were really exploding, and you know, to to get into the Highland Park area, into that downtown, uh, Knox Henderson area, you know, gets more and more expensive all the time, and it really is a spreading type situation around the country where you you, you know you see these. Austin type towns that really didn't have as much going on and they've just exploded and uh, it really makes the, the, the epicenter of these places so expensive it's almost prices people out
0: right and do you think with um, you know tele- telecommuting and people working from home, that's gonna affect, you know, that trend or do you think that'll still people still will always wanna be near the center of town and I, I think um, that
1: the real estate people are getting extremely uh proficient and very, very educated about creating spaces that work in lots of different environments. Uh, a lot of these mall retoolings have been incredible uh, that I've seen uh, just from some of the companies. We were short some of the mall companies a few years ago. But mm-hmm. uh, but they, they really have been using these spaces and redesigning them in a very crafty way. And, um, you know, so the more people... Operate this stuff, the better they get at doing it. And so, um, you know, I, I I think that you're always going to have some cyclicality back and forth, and that's you're going to always have cyclicality. Even say in New York, from downtown to uptown to, you know, you always have areas that kind of fall into the dumps, and then other areas that pick back up in life. So, um, redistribute.
0: Yeah, people find ways to to fix and flip, and you know, do some. Some turning of neighborhoods, right. old homes. It is very and impressive
1: the the just the amount of sprawling infrastructure that has that has occurred over the last ten or fifteen years, and the uh, the interesting way that you know real estate owners are using their properties you know differently.
0: Right, like with VRBO and and Airbnb and all that.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so people pick it up. Switch things around. The, the the mall in Fort Worth, Texas, that I was referring to. Uh, it used to have uh, a much larger retail space in there, and they they moved in a massive aquarium in there, and a movie theater and some other things. So, um, you know, kudos to people thinking out of the box.
0: That's cool. So, you do you you don't see you know just kind of a macro level. You don't see any any crisis of the mortgage you know, industry happening or housing. I mean, you might, do you see kind of what we were talking about earlier, maybe like a, Softening, of course, maybe you know, like a, a dip in the housing. What you, What are your thoughts?
1: So the difference that I see this time is, is I think that in 2000 and in 2007, you were dealing with literally very intense amount of fraud. That goes back to the savings and loan crisis as well. So when you right. when you when you lose that much money to, to to basic robbery, it's much harder to get that kind of money back. I think in this environment we're just dealing with a bit of overvalued assets, maybe a little too much leverage. I am looking for a cleansing, but I'm not looking for a, you know, a massive uh Um, crash or crisis but as interest rates go up default rates will pick up provisions will have to you know um, be written off you know and uh, um, you know losses will have to be written off so
2: um,
1: you know the cycle isn't is alive and well and I think that you'll see some pain but I'm not looking for anything like an OA probably something more mild
0: okay you know, it's been a pleasure having you on uh, on the podcast, Brad. Thanks for taking the time to do this.
1: Hey, this was really great. Thanks for having me.